Well, good morning and happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. I trust that it was a weekend for you just recounting, as the Psalms tell us, remembering God's faithfulness and God's kindness to us. And uh, if that was a, a rhythm of your past week, I pray that it certainly would be a rhythm of us this morning, right? This is why we gather, to remember how faithful and how kind our God is, and then just to respond to him in worship. My name is Brandon, and I have the joy of serving uh, West Cabarrus Church as one of its pastors, and uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up there, 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we have been in this series through the book of First Peter for the better part of three months now, looking at this idea of the living hope, whose name is Jesus, the living hope. And Peter has reminded us for two chapters who Jesus is, right, of what he has done, that he died, he was buried, and he resurrected from the grave. And then after that, he, he, he reminded this church, he reminded us of what our new identity is in Christ, who we are in Christ. And then he spends the last several chapters of the book saying, now here's how you live that out. Here's who Christ is. Here's your new identity in Christ, what he has purchased for you. And now here, believers, is how we are to live our lives. And so this book talks a lot about suffering, doesn't it? We've seen it week in and week out, a lot about suffering. I want to re rewind just a little bit because the setting here is absolutely crucial. The setting of 1 Peter is crucial. You see, this letter was written some 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Peter was there for that, right? It says in our passage that Peter was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He observed the worst moment in human history and the greatest moment in human history. And then Peter witnessed the calling of the people of God, right? The first church. We see the instructions. Peter was there for this, Acts 1.8, right? Now you are to go out to the ends of the earth to spread the fame and the glory of God. And as you read through the book of Acts, the church gets this right in a lot of areas, and then but they get it wrong in some areas too. And what they do is that they begin to, to grow a little more inward. And so Peter saw this, right? And I want us to understand that all of this is crucial. All of this is crucial. And here's why. Because God has one plan in the midst of crisis. And that plan is that the church of Jesus would fight to treasure him above all things. That they would glorify God. That the church would love each other so deeply, making more and better disciples, that their behavior would stand out. That it would stand out as a shocking contrast to the behavior around them. And then, together, that they would be so convinced of the beauty of Jesus that they would not allow the distractions of the world to pull them off mission. To pull them away from going to neighborhoods and to nations. And so why in the world to a suffering church does Peter say in our passage this morning, now elders, now elders, right? Maybe some of you when I read this passage here in just a moment, you'll be thinking, can we just sort of skip this, this point, right? Like Brandon, this is your job description. This is the job description of the other pastors in the church. Couldn't we just sort of, you know, the old school churches do sort of have the seats up here and I sort of preach to one of the pastors and one of the other pastors preaches to one of the, the other pastors and we just sort of listen and give our job description, remind, you know, all right, good day, let's go watch some football. Well, here's why. Here's why this matters. 
And I want us to, to grasp this this morning. Listen, the church is God's plan to get his fame to the end of the earth. Did you hear that? The church is God's plan to get his fame to the ends of the earth, right? The church is not a building. The church is a people. The church is God's people. And so it makes sense that the leaders act a certain way, and it makes sense that the members or the partners of the church act a certain way. And so this morning, listen, I just want to invite you in. I just want to invite you in. We've all got a lot going on, right? Some of you have probably walked in here with just the weight of the world on your shoulders this morning. Some of you have have spent time with family and friends over the holidays, and perhaps you're you're just exhausted. And now here I come with, now elders. But listen to me. God intends to use his word, all of it, to use his word for our good. Hear the word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so let's hear the word of God this morning. And I I just want to say that you'll hear this word in our passage, this word elders. When we use that word, we're not talking about the, Peter's not writing to the older folks in the church. He's He's not talking about the older folks in our church. When he says the word elders, He means the word pastors. And so we see those terms that are interchangeable in the New Testament. So if I slip up, I'm going to try to use the word pastors for our context this morning. But if I slip up and say elders, hopefully you'll know what I'm talking about. So let's let's hear the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. You'll see it on the screen. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I invite you to pray with me this morning. Lord, we are thankful this morning for your word. We're thankful for the gathered church, a time that as we just said and rehearsed together where we can remember who you are and then we can just simply respond to that. We respond to that by singing. We respond to that by praying. And Lord, for the next few minutes, we just respond to that by listening. God, let your word be a guide for our hearts, for our lives. And I pray this morning... I pray, Father, that we would be as fascinated with Jesus as you are and as you have been for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our outline is simple this morning. It's, number one, a word to pastors. A word to pastors. We'll spend the bulk of our time there because the text does. Number two, a word 
to the church. And then number three, humility for both. A word to pastors, a word to the church, and then humility for both. So number one, a word to pastors. And I I just want to say at the outset that if you're in any kind of leadership role, there are some things in this passage that apply to you. Right, because this, as we'll see, this passage is less about the task at hand and more about the heart. Right, and so a word to pastors: it's it's important for us to understand that the gospel changes the way we lead. The gospel changes the way we lead, and so the text begins in verse one with the word "so." Maybe some of your versions use the word "therefore." And what Peter's doing is he's tying it back to where we were last week, to the previous passage on suffering. Remember, 1 Peter is a letter. Right? It's a letter that was written by Peter, and it was a letter that would have been read aloud from beginning to end in one setting to this church. And so Peter wants the church to know how the church is to function. And Peter wants us to know that God cares deeply about the way his people are led, that God cares deeply about the way his people are led. And so he says in verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And so Peter comes to this church and he encourages the elders. The elders, the word there is plural, a plurality of elders, plural meaning more than one. And a plurality of elders is the norm in the New Testament. For, for a host, a variety of reasons, but for, for, as you can imagine, checks and balances for accountability purposes. And Peter says to this group of elders, he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm a fellow elder. I'm serving with you. But he also says, I'm, I'm a witness as an elder. I'm with you as an elder, but I'm also with you as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Did you see that in verse 1? Right, Peter wants to talk about leadership, but before he He wants to talk about the sufferings of Christ, and he wants to talk about the glory that is to be revealed. Why? Why? You see, what Peter is trying to get across is that the sufferings of Christ and the glory that is to come ought to change the way people lead. It ought to change the way that we live our lives. And so, again, for you, whatever sphere you're leading in, I want you to apply these things, singles, How are you leading and how can you apply the things that he lays out for us? Parents, spouses, siblings, what about at work? Hear how the gospel is to change and impact the way we lead. Peter says, I'm with you in your sufferings. He also says, I'm with you as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Remember, as we read through 1 Peter, Peter's a real guy. Right? It's easy to read through the scriptures and just, like, these are kind of imaginary, made up, way, way far distant people. Peter's a real guy. And here is a guy who experienced great failure, great failure in his denial of Jesus. But he also experienced the restoring grace of Jesus. And praise God for that, right? We, we sit in this room this morning having experienced the restoring grace of Jesus, Right? How encouraging that his failure was not final. That his failure was not final for him. So he sets it up, and then in verse 2, he begins to give instructions here. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So why shepherds? 
Why sheep, right? Couldn't it just be kings and, and rulers? Like, why shepherds and why sheep? Well, the word pastor is translated shepherd. And if we're honest, maybe some of us this morning or some of us, have, like, our idea of shepherding is typically a pretty weak thing. And I think a lot of this goes back to some of the pictures that we see. I saw a pretty funny one even this, this past week, right? But the, these pictures of a shepherd, right? He's got blonde hair, you know, perfectly permed and probably a manicure just holding this baby sheep and just this beautiful thing. But that's not how shepherds roll, right? That's not how shepherds were. Remember our time back in 1 Peter last year, 1 Peter, uh, excuse me, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 17 uh, David, who was a shepherd, talks about killing bears and lions, right? Can't do that with a manicure, can you? Now, what we're not talking about is like just uber tough, like macho man Randy Savage, you know, just like snap into a Slim Jim, right? But there's this idea that you're safe and that you're protected around the shepherd, right? There's a toughness and there's a tenderness, This is who our God is, right? He is full of strength and of gentleness. And I think this is such an encouraging word for pastors to hear, that the flock is God's. That the flock, the church, is God's. It's not yours. And church, I think this is an encouraging word for us to hear as well, that it's ultimately Jesus' care that you're under. And if you will entrust your soul to the good shepherd, Everything's going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. And shepherds, you know, we're, we're not an attainable position. But what does a shepherd do? Well, shepherds are responsible for, for knowing, right? Shepherds are responsible for leading. Shepherds are responsible for feeding. Shepherds are responsible for protecting. Right? It was a shepherd's responsibility to, to know his sheep. I think for us, this is one of the reasons that we have church membership, or as we call it, church partnership, right, where your pastors are accountable for the people that make up West Cabarrus Church. They're, they're, they're accountable to them, unlike other believers in the city, right? There is this responsibility to shepherd the flock that is among you. And as a pastor, I will And the other pastors here will give an account for the way we shepherd the people of West Cabarrus Church. And I just stand before you this morning and say, this is weighty, right? This is a weighty thing. But again, this is the beauty of church membership or church partnership where we say, hey, guess what? We're all in this together, right? We're all in this together and we're faithfully committed to each other under a leadership that is accountable to God for our souls, and so shepherds are responsible for knowing, but they're also responsible for, for leading, right, by example and by wise decision-making, by leading, but also for, for feeding, right? It, it does no good to, to pet the sheep if you don't feed the sheep. You following me? Like, it, no, it does no good to sort of just care for the sheep if the sheep aren't going to be fed. In other words, if the sheep don't eat, what happens? They die. They die. And God has given us his word. He's given us his word and he's given us teachers of his word to feed us. This is one of the rhythms of the church, to to feed us and to nourish us. The Bible is like the shepherd's staff. It's there for for correction. It's there for reproof. It's there for, for rescue. And again, this is one of the reasons we give ourselves on Sunday mornings to expositional preaching, 
big phrase that just simply means we go through the scriptures verse by verse, right? Where we can hear God's word consistently and hear it regularly and begin to think God's thoughts after him, right? And so a shepherd helps the church feed on the word of God. I think you would agree with me this morning by this statement that we are in such a consumeristic culture, such a consumer, like I have been getting Black Friday mails, emails for the last two months, right, for a day that was two days ago. And then what's tomorrow? Cyber Monday. Here we go again, right? We're, we're in the season for it. We're in such a, a consumeristic culture, just feed me, feed me, feed me. Right? This is what makes social media so popular. Why? Because it feeds me. I'm not often on social media, but when I am, every other image is trying to sell me some kind of new golf equipment. I don't know why. Maybe I do know why, right? The, the algorithm knows what I like. The algorithm knows what I have searched for, and it's showing me that I don't even have to search for it anymore. It just, it just comes to me, right? We're consumers. We're consumers, and pastors are meant to say to the church, listen, you're not just a consumer, but you have to work hard, church, to be a self-feeder. You've got to know God's word, to enjoy him in prayer and to enjoy him in relationship. Right? A shepherd is meant to point you to the green pastures. And the church is meant to feed on the green pastures to feed on God's word. We know that the good shepherd, Jesus, that we'll see and hear of more in just a moment, desires to feed our souls. But a shepherd feeds, but he also protects. Right? He protects, he, he, he helps rebuke false teaching and promote sound doctrine. Right? These are things pastors must do because these are the things that Jesus does for his people. Amen? He knows us. He leads us. He feeds us. He protects us. Peter says, shepherd pastors in that way. Do it, verse 2, exercising oversight. Right? If, a, if a pastor is to care for the flock, it must do it with oversight and with guidance. Right? There's this idea of guarding and guiding. Of guarding and guiding. A shepherd watches over the flock, but a shepherd also is mindful of the surroundings. A shepherd, a pastor, says to the church, don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of what's important, church. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't lose sight of the gospel. Don't lose sight of our mission together. Don't lose sight of our call to care for those in our neighborhood. Don't lose sight to go, of our call to go to the nations. Right? Don't lose sight of our identity in Christ as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a people for God's own possession. You see, no matter how long you've been at West Cabarrus Church, whether it's been 30 minutes or 30 years, church, look at me. Let's not lose sight. Let's not lose sight of what God is calling us to. Let's not lose sight. And so Peter tells pastors to, to shepherd, to, to oversee, to watch out for these three things. Look at, at your Bibles in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And he says this. There's three contrasts that he gives here. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly. 
as God would have you. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, notice Peter spends more time talking about the heart than about the task. He says, pastors, beware of these things. Don't shepherd out of compulsion, but willingly. Simply translated, gladly. Shepherd, pastor, gladly. Do it gladly, right? No one should beg you to be a pastor. No one. First Timothy 3 says, if anyone aspires to be a pastor. And I want us to hear this morning that this is a good thing. And that our desire as pastors, we spend many, many hours a month praying that the Lord would raise up more pastors from this church body. More people to handle the word of God. More people to be sent out to the nations. More people to be sent out to our neighborhoods to help other churches, right? But this is, this is good to aspire to being a pastor. But Peter says, don't do it begrudgingly. Don't do it begrudgingly. Right? When you lose sight, when, when you lose desire, what happens? You, you start to grumble. Peter says, watch out for that. He says, watch out for that. He also says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, do it purely. Do it purely. He said, do it motivated by the sheer love of the work. Not for the money, but for the fame of Jesus. For the fame of Jesus, right? And this applies to all of us. Don't do anything out of greedy gain, but do it eagerly. Do it eagerly for God to be seen and for God to be praised. He says, don't do it in a domineering way, but be humble examples, right? Leadership is not lordship. Leadership is not lordship. Leadership is setting an example. It's following Jesus, and then it's inviting others to come along with you, right? Paul told a young pastor, Timothy, in the New Testament, he said, they'll be less likely to despise your youth if you lead by example, right? Pastors should never be characterized by pride or selfish ambition, by threats, by manipulation, by intimidation, by, by structural power plays. No, but how? By love. By love. By, by purity. By proper speech. By warmth. And look at me this morning. I just want to say this word to us this morning that I realize that many of us in this room at some point or another have, have been under poor leadership in the church. And I just want to, to, to remind you that the Lord sees you and that he knows you. And I just want to say I'm sorry for that. And I also want to remind us that the pastors of West Cabarrus Church are going to fail and they're going to mess up. But the reward, as we'll see in a minute, the, 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 the marker is are they looking to the chief shepherd? Are they looking to the chief shepherd, the great pastor Charles Spurgeon, you'll see this quote on the screen, said uh, to a group of students, he said this, he said, I love a minister whose face invites me to make him my friend, on whose doorstep you read, welcome and not beware of dog. <laughs> Give the man around whom the children come. An individual who doesn't have a friendly, cheerful manner about him had better be an undertaker and bury the dead, for he will never succeed in influencing the living. Tell us how you really feel, Spurgeon. 
A man must have a great heart if he is to have a great congregation. When a man has a large, loving heart, men go to him as ships to a haven. Such a man is hearty in private as well as in public. He's not cold and fishy. I love that. But he's warm as your own fireside. No pride or selfishness chill when you approach him. He has his doors all open to receive you, and you are at home with him at once. He said to these students, such men I would persuade you to be, every one of you. Simply stated, pastors are to do their work, to fulfill their role gladly, to do it purely, and to do it as an example. And again, it's, it's important to remember that here in a minute when we get to it, what Peter says in verse 5, be subject to the elders, that these are the kinds of individuals that he has in mind. And again, I just want to say to us, I will exclude myself from this picture, but praise God for the pastors that the Lord has given to this church. Like, I serve with them, I serve with them, and our staff as well. I serve with them. I see their ministry, their public ministry, but I also see them behind closed doors. I see their private ministry. And church, let me tell you, you are in good hands. You are in good hands. Verse 4, he says, keep your eyes on the chief shepherd. Why should these pastors be marked by these things? Well, in verse 4, he says, there's a reward. Because there's a reward. Right? Being a pastor is a great challenge. And it's easy to despair in all seasons of life. Right? I hear all the time, sadly, I hear all the time pastors who are hanging it up, pastors who are calling it quits for one reason or another, right? Pastors are prone to deep depression and to, to great anxiety. One of the books that stood out to me most as I was uh, even studying to be a pastor is written by an old Puritan, and he simply said this, shepherding or pastoring makes a man old before his time. And so the question comes, how in the world, how on earth do pastors keep going? We see verse 4 is a call for pastors, but really it's also a call for all of us. How do we do this? We keep our eyes on the chief shepherd, the one who will appear in glory. The reward is worth it. The reward is worth it, right? To hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's enough. That's enough. And Peter comes to say, keep your eyes on the unfading glory, the unfading crown of glory, right? The idea is that Jesus will give us this unfading crown of glory. And of course, we'll simply lay it right back down at his feet. Church, I just want to say this. Encourage your pastors. Encourage your pastors by doing this, by pointing them back to this hope. By pointing them back to this hope that Jesus sees your faithfulness. By pointing them back to the chief shepherd, right? Peter wants it to be really, really clear that shepherds are imperfect and that shepherds need a shepherd. And he comes to say that there is one shepherd. And so we see a word to pastors, but secondly, we see a word to the church. Look back at the text in verse 5. He says, likewise... Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And so the gospel changes the way we lead, but the gospel also changes the way that we follow. 
The gospel changes the way we lead, but the gospel also changes the way we follow. And so Peter seems to be singling out here those who are younger, right? After reading and, and diving into this, there's, there's several thoughts on this. Uh, but I, I take this to mean younger both in age and in, in maturity, right? Men and women in their age, but also in their spiritual maturity. But, but several commentators agree that this really means all of us. And so Peter says that when you see faithful shepherds leading well, you're to submit to their faithful leadership. Again, just as the gospel changes the way we lead, the gospel also changes the way that we follow. We know that submission is not one of our favorite phrases, right? Submission requires a great, great deal of humility. This doesn't mean the pastor is always right. But it means that when he's wrong, in humility, talk to him about it. In humility, right? Be subject to the elders. You know, Jesus knew that pastors would fail. And yet, what does he do? He still calls us to be subject to them. You know what's crazy? Like, even here, Jesus leads by example. You see, Jesus went to the cross because he was submitting himself to the sinful Jewish elders of his day. Right? The gospel changes the way we lead, and the gospel changes the way we follow, because the gospel strips away our pride, and it makes us a people who consider others more important than themselves. Philippians 2, just like Christ. Now, there's, there's three texts that are worth noting this morning, I want you to write them down and, and this week go back and, and read them. But there's three texts worth noting on how to relate to a leader or to a, to a pastor. The first one is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. And essentially Paul tells the Thessalonians to respect those who are over you in the Lord. He says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Right? So it's, it's not a cold, sort of detached respect, but it's a warm respect. It, it, it's love. The second text, uh, number two and three, actually come out of Hebrews 13. The, first, the, the second one is Hebrews 13, verse 7. And it just simply says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate them. Imitate them. Right, this idea of, of imitation, right? Not, not his looks. If you're imitating looks, I would lean more toward Charlie and David. They have hair. Ryan and I were struggling a little bit more on that department. Uh, but he says imitate them, right? He says imitate their faith. And then the third one is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, where he says that you should be a joy to pastor. That's actually in the Bible. And can I just say again to you, Church, look at me this morning. You are a joy to pastor. I really mean that. You are a joy to pastor. I can say that with joy in my heart, and I can say that with a smile on my face. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. And so what does it mean to be a joy to pastor? Well, it means encourage your pastors. 
Encourage them in the ways that they're leading. Encourage them in their preaching. Encourage them in their teaching. Attend the gatherings. It means don't be quarrelsome. Right? It means contributing to the ministry of the church. It means engaging in the mission that God has called us to. Right? It means using our words carefully so not to sow division. And the last thing I would say before we move to our last point is this. Simply pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Right? As you look at the task of, of pastors, and as you remember that they will give an account for how they have shepherded, is there anything better that you could do than to pray for them? Someone once asked Charles Spurgeon what he attributed to the effectiveness of his ministry, and he said, that's easy. He said, that's easy. He said, my people pray for me. So we see a call to pastors, a call to the church, and then number three, humility for both. Humility for both. Look back at the text in verse 5. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at me. I'm so thankful that you showed up here this morning. But I'm maybe more thankful that you showed up with, with clothes on this morning, okay? Right? When you woke up this morning, those of you who are on live stream, you can probably say this a little bit differently. But those of you who are in the room, right, when you woke up this morning, it was probably never a thought of like, golly, should I put clothes on or should I not this morning, right? You didn't have to set a reminder, right? You, you, just, you just put them on, Right? And Peter says, with that same intentionality, put on the clothes of humility. With the same intentionality, put on the clothes of humility. We'll see this more in depth next week. But Peter knows that the same thing that, 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 that leads people to lead poorly is also the same thing that causes people to follow poorly. And that thing is pride. It's pride. Pride is what makes leaders think they're better than other people. Pride is what makes leaders lead for shameful gain. Pride is what, what, what leads leaders to call others to do things that they're not actually willing to do. And pride is also what makes people rebel. Pride is also what makes people think that they don't need to listen to other people or that they know more than those around them. Pride is this desire to seek our own glory. Pride is a desire to seek our own glory. And Peter comes and he says, you don't need to seek your own glory anymore. You don't need to seek your own glory anymore. You see, this passage is ultimately a call to humility, to lead with humility and to follow with humility. Humility is just simply saying, I trust you, Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. Right? Humility is it's a receiving of all the wonderful promises that Christ has for you. And what is one of the most humble things that we can do? Hint, we've been doing it all year. It's to pray. It's to pray, right? Simply say, I can't, you can. It's to pray, right? When you're considering others more significant than yourself, right? That is the fruit on a tree that shows that humility is at the root, right? Pastors cannot lead people who are not humble. And again, I just want to tell you, church, 
you are doing this and ways that you are doing this, just excel all the more. Excel all the more. But we get to this idea of humility, and again, we'll look more at it in depth next week, but, but the pattern for humility and the pattern for shepherding is ultimately Jesus. It's Jesus. And so this, this passage calls us to do two things. It calls us to put on the clothes of humility, but it also calls us to consider Jesus, to consider the chief shepherd, right? The one who humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we close this morning, I want to do so by just reading a few verses in, in John chapter 10. I encourage you to turn there if you want to, write, make a note in your notes to go back there and, and read it this week. But John chapter 10, beginning in verse 10, as we look at the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus' words, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Listen, Jesus wants to give you abundant life. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, he longs and he invites you in to give you life. He says this in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus has substituted himself in our place at the cross, dealing with the, the chasm, the gap that stood between us and God, and he has brought us home to God. It says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, but not for Jesus. <laughs> not for Jesus. No, no, he cares for his sheep. He doesn't run away when danger comes. Right? A sheep is dependent on its shepherd its entire life. Church, listen to me. That's the, that's the Christian life. That is the Christian life, dependent on Jesus for everything. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Jesus says to you, the good shepherd says he's bringing in other sheep. So there will be one flock, he says, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. See, Jesus was no victim at the cross. He gave up his life for you and for me. The good shepherd longs to give you abundant life. You follow this picture throughout the New Testament and you get to Revelation chapter 7, the last book in the Bible, and we see a beautiful picture of this shepherd again. Revelation 7 verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will be their guide. 
to guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Church, we have a good shepherd. We have a good shepherd who will see us through to the very end. Who will guide us, who will lead us to springs of living water. And who will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Church, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with humility, all of you, all of us, and consider the chief shepherd. Think about what it means that you are accepted, that you are adopted into his family, that you will never be an orphan again, that you'll never be alone again. And think on the freeness of his grace. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do as you desire. That you would lead us to green pastures and to still waters to feast on your word. Lord, we're thankful that you're near. God, this passage brings to mind just what a weighty thing it is to be a pastor. And I pray, oh God, I pray that you would forgive me for the ways that I mess this up. God, we pray that you would clothe all of us with humility, making us a people who confess our sins and experience that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. God, make us, please, by your grace, make us a people who cling to Jesus, the good shepherd who knows, who leads, who feeds, and who never lets us go. Oh God, fill this place with a people who long for your appearing. Let us long for that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together as we sing to and about the risen Christ this morning.